should have just left yeah. it the way it was. Okay. <laughs> Turn that down a little bit too. Okay, welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. Uh, this week, I'm happy and excited to welcome Lisa Vwig, an old friend and a colleague. Um, and I was thinking, let's see. I guess we've known each other about it. Well, since around, I don't know, 2002, something like 2005, that? 2005, I think, was when I started at Journey. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh. All right. Well, it's been a while. <laughs> 15 years, 13 yes. years, something like that. All right. Um, I also got the, uh, the a compilation episode up a few days ago, which I encourage you guys to listen to. I have folks on it like uh, Mandy Murray, Trip Mitchell, um, Jake Schottenstein, Mike Haas from um, Red Barn Academy, uh, Dr. Robert Simpson, and I know I'm leaving somebody else out in the middle there. But anyway, um, that's up and available now to listen to as well. And uh, I can't remember who I have on next week, but I'll try to remember that before the end of the show today. All right. Um, and as we always do, I want to welcome all our fellow bozos out there, bozo listeners. Um, this is a, a way that we get together and, and connect and find the commonality that brings us all together. So with that, Lisa... Yes. I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about your story and, and your history and, and what makes you just another bozo on the bus. <laughs> Thank you. You're excited about this, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm my, oh dear. Anyway, we'll just do it. We'll do it. We'll, we'll just do it. Do it. Just yeah. A, just like we're sitting around shooting the shit, remember? And you you <laughs> did right. say fuck's your favorite word to say, so I'm going to go. <laughs> Well, we'll keep score. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out if that's true. Perfect. Oh, dear. Well, I, you know, I was uh, raised in Utah County, LDS parents, uh, raised in the church. I was actually adopted at birth. My uncle um, found me for my parents. My mother couldn't have children, and so my, my uncle had an adoption agency. He and a and an an attorney and so they set up the adoption and um grew up in utah county you know huge lds influence my parents are both still good practicing lds folks um siblings one is uh out of four of us three have gone black sheep (laughs) (laughs) what do you when i said siblings i went did you have siblings but you mean (laughs) one of the siblings one of the siblings siblings is doing a great is living a a, a what an active life in a good active in a a certain religion that's popular in this area yeah for sure and uh yeah and, and does a really good job at it but yes i had two brothers and a sister and we were all adopted and we you know we had a great childhood um Mom and dad were real present. Uh, it was very... Where were you in the mix as far as age-wise? I was oldest. Oh. Yeah. So you were the first. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I had to behave and set a good example. And had which, that And had that <laughs> Not well. <laughs> oh, dear. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, we had, um, you know, we ha- had a great little life. Uh, mm-hmm. Just pretty normal. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, and, whatever normal means. Yeah, whatever I don't know. That, what is. I, that the, by the way, that phrase doesn't—it's confusing these these days. <laughs> what I mean, what the hell is normal? Right? No kidding. Right. No kidding. Well, I guess it was normal for some and not yeah. for others. Right. But um, yeah, so I um, about twelve, I you know I started questioning the validity of the faith I was being raised in, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, parents weren't too pleased with that, but it just didn't make sense to me anymore. Sure. Um, so you I, weren't foreclosing. Huh? On, you weren't foreclosing on the family belief systems. No. And that caused a little. Yes. The, the little. Uh, a little riff. To their chagrin, you were not following what was considered the normal family path. Again, exactly. I use the word normal there. I just. Yeah. Just so you know. Okay. But what was they thought would be ordained the normal? What was normal for yeah. them? Yes. Yeah. So um, that was, it was challenging. Um, They were not happy about it, but, you know, they, 
they've let me live my own life and find my own path. And for that, I'm grateful. So I'm curious then, was there uh, not a lot of shaming on their part that you weren't following the family system when it came to theology or? Oh, absolutely. There was a lot of guilt and shame. Oh, there was a lot of shame. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And so they weren't completely okay with no. it. <laughs> I guess that came along later. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they were, no, they were not okay with it. And uh, couldn't understand why I would want something other than what they wanted for me. And, you know, it was it was challenging. Okay. okay. So, but I, um, I started rebelling. And, you know, the, the typical, oh, um rebellious child i dated boys and drank alcohol and you know did all of those things um to excess what, what age did you start dating um probably about 14 okay yeah 14 i, I wasn't allowed but yes no. <laughs> right. okay so you were dating incognito yes there you go <laughs> Sneaking out at night. <laughs> anyway, but, um, and then, you know, about the same time started um, drinking and, uh, and. Along with half of the other LDS yeah. girls. At, you know, Absolutely. At that time. Yeah, we well, were all doing it. They were all doing it. it. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was backlash. And um, we all wanted to see what we hadn't seen. We lived in such a protected environment mm-hmm. our whole lives. So um, a lot of my friends were on the same path. Okay. For sure. So, um, married when I was 18, I guess. Um, they, I married a man that I was deeply in love with, or so I thought. We were high school sweethearts. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Wow. Actually, a really good man. Mm-hmm. We were just very young, and we were both using, and it ended in divorce, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But he's a, he's a really good guy, and we still you know, talk every once in a while, mm-hmm. had a wonderful family. Um, it was really hard leaving that relationship. So w- you said you, you, you were dating and drinking at the time. What, what, what age did you start drinking? 14, 14. 15. So it's about the same time. Yeah, about okay. the same time. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then did you do that up all the way through high yeah. school and everything? Okay. Yeah, and to excess. You know, it was never um, just a couple of drinks for me. It was always to excess. Really? Yeah. Right from the get-go, practically. Right from the get-go. <laughs> you, you, once you, you came out of the gate running, is We're what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, anyway. but um, what, what did you drink? Do you mind me asking? Um, well, the first thing I ever drank was Annie Green Springs wine and i got was it sparkling no (laughs) (laughs) i was though (laughs) Uh, but uh no i got extremely drunk and went home and and just made an ass of myself running into things and and being silly but you know hiding it i thought from my parents sure anyway and you know then it was just anything we could get our hands on you know didn't matter? No. Okay. Didn't really matter. Where did you get it at that age, do you mind? Oh, we'd talk boys into um, going into the liquor store for us or going into the um, grocery store, grocery store for, beer, for beer, you okay. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't very hard. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and some of my friend's parents had alcohol in the house, too, so we took full advantage of that. People drink in Utah County? Yeah. I'm kidding. Can I'm you kidding. believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it, it became, in high school, it became what I, kind of what I lived for. I mean, I, I didn't like school. It wasn't challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you bored? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't like to go. Mm-hmm. Um and so it kind of, it's it's I would go out and drink during the day with friends mm-hmm. and then, you know, go home at night. Well. Failed all my classes. <laughs> then had to take night school and graduated by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but um it was uh but you but you met your 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 boy I mean you I you were dating husband. you're dating your soon to be husband yes. at this point. Yes. Okay. We yeah. and I don't want to make assumptions, but you guys drinking together or Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. All we right. met at a big 
party. Um, uh, they used to call them keggers up in the canyon. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You remember? Yeah, I remember. Anyway, so, yeah, that that's where we met, and um, we dated for couple of years before we got married mm-hmm. but it was always you know our social life was surrounded by alcohol okay so, yeah okay and then you uh, you guys were married what uh, you said you were married at 18 i was 18 and he was 21 and we we were married for three years and um you know we didn't know what we were doing neither one of us wanted what knew what we wanted or you know we just knew that we were that we loved each other and you know it was it was fun basically and um were you living at, at home or no, guys living or did you um, have your own place or we what? got married and then yeah we had our own place and uh so it was yeah it was a lot of a lot of parties a lot of drugs you know the whole thing um and it got to a point where, you know, he would still go out and mm-hmm. party with his friends. Mm-hmm. And I was at home going, you know, because I wasn't old enough to go out and drink in the bars. And right. So I'm at home wondering where he is. And I got a real good dose of what I'd put my parents through at that point. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, gave them a big apology. But the truth is... Your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm really sorry because now I know how you felt. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, we we were drinking and having fun. He cheated on me. I cheated on him, um, you know, as a just a, a revenge thing and mm-hmm. we split up and so um it was it was supposed to be mm-hmm. that's all i can say because yeah. i i don't i don't have any regrets and he's he's a really great guy he found a lovely woman that he's still married mm-hmm. to and um we actually were trying to have children when we were married mm-hmm. and come to find out he wasn't able to have children so i wouldn't have my boy if i'd been married to him so there's the there's the rub (laughs) okay yeah so how how long after that relationship did uh, you have your child well i um oh goodness that i was 21 i i had max when i was 37 so about 16 years. It's a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was single for a while and moved to California and was having a great time. And then I met my son's father and started dating him. And he was a real um, abuser of drugs and alcohol. And I was so codependent, as you know. Hmm. I remember you used to tell me to take my codependent pills. <laughs> But, um, you know, it was... What a terrible person I am. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Just telling the truth. That's all. Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, but um, so I... um, He he came into my life, and we were using and and drinking pretty heavily. And um, he came and he said, you know what? He goes, I've got to go into treatment. I may lose you over this, but this is what I have to do. And so, you know, I went, oh, Wow. Mm-hmm. This guy, you know, was really worth sticking with. And um, I thought, well, I'll get sober to support him. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I would so, get sober. So you would stop everything else that you were doing. <laughs> yeah. And, but uh-huh. you decided that, you know, alcohol was something you could control. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the gist of the story. I'm kind getting. of, okay. yeah. And then I actually gave up alcohol at one point and still didn't think I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been sober about six months and I went to one of those conferences that they do for sobriety and AA. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in a in a, a room listening to this gal and she told my story and it was just bizarre. I just went, oh dear. Maybe I have to rethink this. So um, at that point, I started doing meetings and, you know, yeah. really applying myself to being sober and um, living a sober lifestyle. And it was it was going really well because he was sober, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
I think what happened was we just stopped working a program or we stopped moving forward and we just got caught up in addictions of spending and, you know. You cross addicted to other things. Exactly. So shopping, 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 food, you know, the whole bit. And um, so it was, you know, just a really unfortunate thing. Um, He, we we were married for 10 years before I had Max. Hmm. And um, I, I wanted to wait and make sure it was going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and, um, you know, when after I had my son, Max, it was just I would watch my his father do things to him that he had done to me for our entire relationship. But it wasn't OK to do to my boy. Mm-hmm. It was OK to do to me, but not to my boy. And so we split up when Max was about five. So you don't have to talk about this, but are we? You talking about some kind of abuse? Is that he was? He was? uh, He was a narcissist. Okay. And he was very verbally and emotionally abusive. Yeah. Okay. Not a lot of physical. I think he knew I would fight back. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um, anyway, yeah, it was. I was pretty damaged by the time I left. My self esteem was just zero. And I, I didn't lift my head for a long time after I left the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, it was more important that I teach my son how to get through this thing called life and how to be a good person and how to take care of other people. Without, without the emotional abuse around no, every day. Exactly. I mean, it, there, we can't avoid that because there are going to be people in the world that, you know, are shame or fear-based. But to have it in the home like that, it's, it was, you made the choice to remove yourself and him from that. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't, uh, it, it made me feel very unloved and I didn't want my son to feel that way. I didn't want, because he was very loved. Yeah. And I, I didn't want him to grow up uh, learning these these things that just weren't true about him. Right. So, yeah. So we, uh, we left when he was about five and um, I was in California at the time. And then we came back to Utah when he was seven. And that's when I met you. That's when I came to work for Journey. Oh. I had just moved back from, from California. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yeah. 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 I guess I, that does. I guess I do remember that now. <laughs> yeah. Now that we're talking. Yeah. Okay. But, but that does, that you had just moved, moved from there. Yeah. And, and so, and you were, but you were sober at this time as well. I was. So you, yeah. you, you, you weren't, you know, you, you weren't using anymore. And that probably stood out even more to you when you start getting a clear head, right? And a clear heart. And you still, but you hear this perpetuation of this negative um, reinforcement or shame-based reinforcement. Um, that becomes hard to stay around, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost as if under the influence of certain substances or things like that, that it becomes sometimes bearable to stay in a, an unhealthy situation. But once your head and heart got clear, you were ready to to make a move absolutely and i yeah i'm i'm sure that had a lot to do with it um yeah but anyway um yeah i it was uh it was funny because when i was married to my son's father i really just put my whole focus on him you know rather than looking at my own stuff and so I was still very sick. Identifying him as the pro- the primary problem. He was the problem, oh, right? right, right. Okay. Externalizing and the problem. Of like course. Okay. And if, you know, I could help him, then I would be, you know. Spoken as a good codependent. Yes, or, thank you. Or dependent. Yes, okay. very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, so I started looking at my own stuff about, oh, two or three years before we split up. And I started getting well. And that's when it became really, really apparent that the divide was great, and he wouldn't participate in any of that. He said, "You know, all they all therapists do is make you hate your parents." <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe there's a good reason for that. But anyway, I I well, got most, into <laughs> most people hate their parents before. <laughs> Not I shouldn't say most people. Plenty a of people lot. hate the, to despise their parents or dislike them on yeah. some level way before they enter therapy. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, I went into therapy and my therapist was amazing. He saved my life. I mean, I was literally suicidal at times mm-hmm. before that. And um, once Max was born, the suicidal tendencies uh, quieted. 
in me because I knew I needed to stay alive mm-hmm. to take care of him, you know. But I, I really credit I'm him. I'm curious, while you were pregnant, though, were you still having those tendencies? Actually, not when I was pregnant. Okay. I was, uh, I had something to look forward to. Okay. I was really excited about the so, pregnancy. Some motivation was there. Exactly. Okay. But I had actually been on antidepressants when I got pregnant, mm-hmm. and the first time I saw my doctor, he said, "I want you off of them yeah. today." Yeah. You know, and I of course, did what he told me to do. And I'm real grateful because now there's a class action suit against the drug I was taking for birth defects. Uh So anyway, um, but but when I was pregnant and my son was little, there was just so much to focus on and Mm -hmm. so much to do. and, And I loved him so much. And it was being adopted is really weird because you always wonder who you look like. You've never seen a picture of anyone that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And so every time I looked at his face, I saw someone who looked like me and a little bit more healing took place. Oh, interesting. It was really, really beautiful. And um, I... It would. For me, it was just marvelous. I just, every day was a marvel. And just to to look at him and go, oh my gosh, this little guy, he's a little mini me. (laughs) Right. It was fabulous. You didn't know any lineage before you at this point. No, I'm guessing. But in Max, you saw saw the the lineage going forward, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a pretty powerful experience. Did you ever, during this time um, growing up, want to know who you're? I did. I'm not too. And not I'm a, guessing this wasn't an open adoption. <laughs> no, no, not in the state of Texas. <laughs> well, what happened was like big things would come up in in my life, and at that point, I would get curious uh-huh. about where I came from and who my mother was, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But my parents were always my parents. I don't, of course, you yeah, know, it's yeah. never really been. Um, you didn't feel the need to go and research right. this or find right, out and I I did later actually. Okay, um, as uh, after I moved here, but it was it was just so you know it was just as a child never looking like anybody and never having a picture of anyone that mm-hmm. you looked like and everyone else looks like their parents. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird phenomenon, and to look into his little face and go, oh, that's who I am. Yeah. That's what I love. That's like. so cool. It was really awesome. Yeah. yeah. He 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 and therapy saved my life. They were just mm-hmm. it was it was a really great time in my life. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's cool. pretty amazing. Yeah. So you came to Utah, um you went you went to work. Was that your fir- that was that your first job working in, in the substance abuse and treatment it was. industry? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What did you think of that experience? I'm curious. Besides the, the personality stuff and yeah. and the business stuff, what was it like to all of a sudden work in that field? I'm well, curious. you know, I had always when I lived in California I had always done things for money. I'd been self employed, I'd had, you know, sales jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I'd always done things for what I could earn and I decided coming to Utah I was going to do something that gave back and I got a lot of fulfillment out of that and it was really um, I loved working with people of like mind Mm -hmm. people who had addiction issues Um, that part felt very much like home it was good. Yeah. And I met some of my dearest friends there that, still to this day. True. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, it was, it was really amazing to be involved in that healing process and to see the ones who survived and succeeded. Mm-hmm. I loved that. You know, of course, that's the best part. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah, it was, it, it felt like home. And what it really did for me was I realized that I had not, ever really worked a program so here I was 15 years sober and I really wasn't working a program I mean I was searching out you know different spiritual ideas mm-hmm. and and practices and that kind of thing all the time mm-hmm. but it, it I didn't really have a program and I and a lot and this is like and people use this this word program a lot, but that I I, I define it almost as this having kind of a life a, a learning to live life program, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we the reference is quite often to you know recovery based, but it's so much more than that. Having a program to learn how to live life on life's terms, absolutely. You know, which I think everyone probably could 
could benefit from. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think probably the majority of the population could use some help in that area. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, I mean, look what's happened with yoga. <laughs> How popular it is. Yeah, exactly. yoga, yoga centers and, and Starbucks. Uh-huh. There's, there's one on every corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Every, yeah, we all have our program. Yeah, right? we all have our program. Sorry, so <laughs> I digress there for a moment. Yeah, but it was it was weird to recognize that, and I yeah. I was very shame very ashamed about that that I had not been really here. I was working in the recovery mm-hmm. business, so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really doing the work I oh, needed to do. And that actually got me, kind of lit the fire under mm. me, and, and I started attending meetings and looking at different routes of recovery. I mean, I don't, personally, I don't think that there's one way for everybody. Yeah. I think that there, you know, your recovery is your recovery, and you'll find the best path. Yeah. Um, but uh, to, to look at that was hard. Because I prided myself on that, you know, length of sobriety, yeah. when really it was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people at the time don't don't have aren't comfortable saying that, of course. That, well, yeah, you, yeah, you know, I, I I have a lot of time being dry or clean, but I don't necessarily always believe that I was sober during those moments. Exactly. Instead. Yeah, I, there was no substances in me, you know, mm-hmm. besides you know sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Still my nemesis. <laughs> Still my nemesis, right? <laughs> but that that the idea is about learning to, um, you know, live life and, and learning to have healthy and and uh, functional coping skills and, and those kinds of things. Absolutely. Uh, so so different. So yes. Different, yeah. Absolutely. And I I feel like working in the in the industry also brought all of this right into focus for me because we were talking about different issues going on with patients and and things like that as a team mm-hmm. and I would be I would sit, hear something and I would think oh well I do that mm-hmm. you know so I I got in touch with that real fast and I really don't I I, I was substance free but mm-hmm. I feel like what they call it white knuckling I feel like maybe I was doing that for about mm-hmm. the first 15 years of my sobriety yeah, quite honestly That's that's kind of wild when you think about it Yeah right? I know yeah. I know I was so full of shit <laughs> 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 but anyway, um, but it was great because, uh, you know, I, I met so many wonderful people there mm-hmm. and it really started my path of learning to do life on life's terms. And, um, you know, a lot of struggles through those years, a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And I lived through them. Yeah. We always do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, and you though, and, and when you, you left the industry at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of took a different path, if I Yeah, I remember. worked in, in hospice for you a long time. You worked in hospice. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like, too? And how did that kind of fit into, you know, getting in touch with, you, you know, really what you, the truth of, you know, how, what it meant to live with a sober heart and sober mind for you? I'm curious, because that, yeah. that industry is just so fascinating. It really is. It is. And it's, it's very fulfilling, um, I, you know, it was weird. I, I was applying for a job looking to get out of the re- recovery industry. Yeah. It, it was a, it was challenging to work in that industry for me. And, um, well, there's a high burnout rate. Oh yeah. There, there, there is. Well, oh. not just for therapists and, and line staff, but anyone who works in that field, the, the burnout rate is because you're there. You can't help but often get involved with people's lives personally. Um, and even on the, on the marketing and, and sales side of it, you mm-hmm. know, the admission side, there there is still that intensity that goes through that because you can be sometimes working with families for weeks, if not longer, before they even come, the the person comes into treatment. So mm-hmm. th- there is that intensity in those dynamics, which can be overpowering. Yes, yeah. I'm glad. Thank you for putting that into words because yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah. So I was looking for work, and I I interview I. I just filled out a, an application, I think, and sent in a resume for this company. And the gentleman who interviewed me actually grew up down the street from me and knew my little brother, and my little brother knew his little sister and all this stuff. But he he introduced me to hospice, and he told me about it, and it sounded really fascinating. When I got into it, I couldn't even say the word die. 
you're going to die or this is what death is about. You know, it was really, um, I was very, mm, I treaded very lightly with my words. And then... I wish the listeners could have seen your hands doing that, <laughs> doing the, the delicate little dance there, you know, yeah, treading lightly. The, the, the dance the, of the, the waves. Yeah, the dance of the waves there. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it was really intense work. And I, I was doing marketing for them at that point. And um, I was actually able, though, to connect with the clients and their families, mm-hmm. which was the best part for me. And I, when people are dying, it's where the rubber meets the road. There, there's no bullshit. Mm-hmm. There, there isn't any pretense or, or anything. You get to see who that person really is. And that was fascinating for me. Wow, what a great powerful concept yeah Yeah. it was really really great and i absolutely loved it it was um i do you mean like the masks get stripped back pretty quickly is that what you're referring to exactly because people know they don't have a lot of time and so they have to come clean Mm -hmm. and i heard some things from people that i was shocked to hear quite frankly Mm -hmm. and but it it was their truth and that was the beauty Mm. It was always their truth. Hmm. And it was interesting to watch the family dynamic, too, because grief, as you know, is, works so weirdly. Hmm. And, you know, people would, you know, brothers and sisters would be fighting or, you know, there'd be drama. But that was all grief. They yeah. didn't know where to the, put it. The anger and the frustration coming out, which is just mm-hmm. one of the stages of grief and or one of the parts of um, the often overwhelm that happens. Mm-hmm. And it. it can be misdirected or projected as anger towards each other, even though really ultimately we know that is part of the grief process. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I I really enjoyed it. I, I made a lot of, uh, I, w- I worked for a couple of different companies and then I got to a point where I was, um, I was kind of burnt out. You know, it's, it's, it's intense work too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you did go from one intense field into to another one, you know. Hello. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, but right. um, treating addiction to you know working and on life transition. I yeah. mean, they're both similar as far as transitions go. Absolutely. For a lot of people, and then uh, as, as you know, a lot of people in addiction um, die. So they're. But usually not. You're not dealing with preparing them for that transition. It's exactly. Not, hospice is really different. It happens know? pretty yeah. quickly. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, I took a break and and went to work in an Alzheimer's specialty hospital, which I absolutely loved. It was um, a great place of healing for these people that could no longer live in their homes. Mm-hmm. And the company philosophy was beautiful. It was love is greater than fear. And if we're approaching something with love, we can't screw up. Oh, if we're approaching it with fear, then we're we're in the wrong place. Yeah. And they really did walk the walk. And we treated um, the people with dementia as they were when they were when they had their full faculties. Mm-hmm. And so we had, you know, very prominent attorneys. We had, you know, prominent people here from here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really beautiful because they were never treated like there was something wrong with them. Right. They were right. treated with respect and dignity at all times. Right. And so that it was it was just a really wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is an important part of the, that that he, that practice as far as treatment goes mm-hmm. with any type of dementia, especially Alzheimer's, because you, you know with Alzheimer's we're talking about you know people that are in the later stages of life as, mm-hmm. as far as development goes, but often that the, even even the family members can become you know different around uh, a parent or a grandparent that's developing alzheimer's and treat them somewhat differently because they're not remembering or treating them the same way they were so it often becomes you know it becomes part of the process to you know almost want to think of them as as something different but to treat them still as who as as who they were that very client-centered approach it really is beautiful when it comes to alzheimer's and and dementia i agree and and then another piece of that was we practiced redirection rather than medication Mm -hmm. and so they were on minimal meds and we had 
plenty of staffing and we would redirect when there were behaviors mm-hmm. rather than medicating. Yeah. And that was a really beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. I it can was, imagine. It was great. We, so, we know in the world today, we so quickly want to go to that pill, right? You oh, know, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm still looking for the magic one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you find it, you know, just uh, please let me know so I can let our listeners know. Okay. <laughs> I will. Magic pill. <laughs> we'll bottle it. <laughs> so how, how long were you there at that facility? Um, I was there with that company for about three years, I think. Oh. And um, actually working in the Alzheimer's hospital for about a year and a half, two years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to want to edit this out, but <laughs> <laughs> I flipped off a coworker and I was fired for that. And it was really you. You flipped off. You flipped off a coworker. Well, I want to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> this is a human story. <laughs> so you, you basically, okay. with a hand gesture, told somebody to go fuck themselves. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Okay. I did, and I, you know, I. I had never been fired from a job in my life. I was 50 years old. I was a mother. I was a single mother, sole provider. And I thought, this is just ridiculous. Like, what? 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 You know? And I just... It was... Why'd again, you flip him off? Just come on. Get, he get. was such a jackass. I mean, he really was. He was just such an ass. And I just... I, I One day, I had just had enough. And I, you know, I, I flipped him off. And then, you know, he went running to the boss and, you know, all that stuff. Big drama. But... Um, so the, literally, so the firing was because... Because I flipped you, him you off. Gave some, you gave some... Yeah. She said, she said, well, you know that's against corporate policy. And I said, no, it isn't. I said, this is something that you're choosing. Yeah. Don't try and hide behind that. <laughs> I would love to see that in the in how they were written. Uh, hand gestures referring to somebody going and fucking themselves are prohibited. Exactly. I mean, and I was embarrassed and I was shamed and, you know, the whole bit. It was just when I had to tell my son that I was fired for flipping the bird, it was like, ah! <laughs> Except he was probably proud of you on some he, level. Well, I'm sure he was. Cause he, you know, because I just, I wouldn't take the guy's crap anymore. Uh-huh. He was, he was not a nice person, you know. And he, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> we didn't like each other. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. I mean, I'm sure you have a part in it as well. Of course you know? I do. But yeah, but, 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 well, th- you but know thank me. God you got to express how you really felt. <laughs> well, and you know what? When someone acts like that, I'm, I'm terrible. I'll, I'll hit those buttons and I'll nudge, you know, to get them to react. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my part in okay, it, too. that's your part. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know you. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty devastating. But, you know, again, just the way things are supposed to be. I thought that was one of your enduring qualities. <laughs> I'm all confused now that someone else didn't see it the same way. Yeah, okay. thank you. Okay. See, I should have stayed there. Yeah, no, no. Oh, dear. Okay. But, um, yeah, so and it just um, at that point, I was training to be a chaplain for hospice. Hmm. And so I finished my training and I went to work at just a sales job for mm-hmm. a few years. And then I, I actually worked as a chaplain for about three years just recently mm-hmm. until about a year ago. And uh, it was really amazing work. And people always, you know, they they make assumptions when you tell them that you're a hospice chaplain. They Mm -hmm. assume you're religious and you're this and you're that. And I'm not at all. I'm agnostic until there's a mass shooting and then I become atheist for a little while. (laughs) But... Anyway, it so just, just... So what you're saying is you've been an atheist a lot for the uh, yeah. lately? This year's been really rough. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, it was really interesting. And I, I would just kind of help these people with their journey. I join them where they were and support them through. Mm-hmm. And it was some of the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. It was really beautiful. And I, I got to experience just some beautiful human beings Mm. just beautiful human beings and they're so raw and so authentic at that point Mm -hmm. um that you can't help but be also sure so it was really really great 
when when you will you explain what sort of the, what that means to be like a chaplain? Because I mean, I understand it. Yeah. But uh, would you explain it? Because a lot of people uh-huh. probably don't don't understand it or know about it. Yeah. There gets there's some confusion around here because they think of you know they think of religion or theology, and uh-huh. we are talking about something different. We are, yeah. and it's it's really. Um, for some people, it, they look at it as a religious thing, and they, you know, they are recommended by their religious leaders mm-hmm. to be a chaplain, that kind of thing. Well, I didn't have a faith, and so I, 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 I was not. And what it was for me was just companioning people mm-hmm. on their spiritual journey, and mm-hmm. what whatever that is, wherever it needs to go. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, asking the right questions and listening, a lot of listening, and. Letting them get things off their chest, letting them pose questions, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, basically it was it was companioning them mm-hmm. through that that end of life. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful way to put it. It really companioning was. Them yeah, through it was that, through that transitional uh-huh. stage. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really great work. I'd like to go back to it at some point. Oh, you would? Yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. Okay. So, we'll, well why did you leave it? <laughs> Do I have to tell the truth? No. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. <laughs> you know, the company I was working for, just, they were... <laughs> you flipped somebody. <laughs> that would be such a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I waited until after I quit to flip them off then, but... <laughs> It just, you know, I was expected to do, you know, two full-time jobs, which I had been doing, and that was fine. But when they asked me to do a third, I was like, no, no. I can't do that much. Okay. I, I feel like I'm being set up to fail. Sure. But anyway, it was a it was a good company. It was a good run. Mm-hmm. I loved uh, the people I worked with and the families mm-hmm. I got to know were just off the charts, beautiful people. You get to see that beauty at that point. No matter who they've been in their life, no matter if they've been gruff or nasty or mean, you get to see that Mm -hmm. solid gold center. Isn't that beautiful? The humanness. The core, the authentic self. The authentic self. And it's it's pretty remarkable. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was looking for another flip-off story, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's obviously me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it some thought. I may have a couple more. <laughs> yeah. no, no worries. No worries. All right. Um, anything else you want to add to your story? or? Um, I guess it's, uh, you know, I was thinking about that today. And, you know, once I really got honest with myself, mm-hmm. that's when I started to live. Once I really cleared away, you know, and, and identified my own bullshit, mm-hmm. um, and I could call myself on it, mm-hmm. that's when my life got really good. That's when things came together. That's when I was able to participate authentically and mm-hmm. to be in the moment. Um, and I've had some of my my most wonderful experiences since then. Yeah. And so... <clears throat> so... How does that, how does the, your understanding of, of like the victim stance and the victim narrative fit into that? Yeah, you know, developing that kind of awareness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about this before in the past, but I wonder if you could share that, you know, with our listeners. Because, you know, learning to understand the victim voice and the victim stance is such a powerful experience. It really is. You know, is. of how instead of projecting our problems onto others, you know, we take accountability for what we, we think, we feel, and we do. Absolutely. So, what what is your experience with that? Well, I know that when I was married to my son's father, I was in the victim mm-hmm. role the the entire time, and that was so that I could not have to work on my things. Mm-hmm. You know, we could look at his problems, not my own. And I think once I once I got to the point where I could look at myself honestly mm-hmm. and look at my my things. Um, it's very empowering mm-hmm. um, to just be in the truth. Sure. And it's also, for me, it's been just a really good place. I mean, you know, the depression kind of stays at bay and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that when I'm when I'm living my truth. Mm. Um, does that answer? Sure, yeah. Yeah, the, the idea of learning to just take accountability and live in a place of of ownership, mm-hmm. every you know the truth. Then truth is, is easy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When, when, when we're, yeah. So the <clears throat> the idea of that 
instead of you know propagating my bullshit <laughs> yeah, which you know i got a phd in. it means that <laughs> it, it means that you know i take accountability and and, the, and then the victim stance begins to wane yes you know, the, and the victim narratives and those stories about you know woe is me begin to change and mm-hmm. the self-pity begin to change absolutely yeah. and i think it's a long process i don't think we just get to a point where we're no longer mm-hmm. in I, that place I, I think i agree you know we've learned to to play that role in different mm-hmm. areas of our life mm-hmm. and I think it's, it all needs to be examined at yeah. some point yeah and I don't think that's that, that's not that's totally normal it's not like a light switch no you know one day it's a, I stopped being a, a victim on you know November 2nd <laughs> yeah 2012 yeah <laughs> no when, that that hasn't happened yeah. yeah one thing that I found really that I'll share that I found really interesting when I was working as a chaplain um, I had had a chip on my shoulder for the the more Mormon church my whole life and the doctrine and you know everything and so I was the victim yeah right that's an easy one yeah Yeah. and anyway so but working in hospice I met or especially as a chaplain I met some of the most beautiful human beings Mm -hmm. that I've ever known and they were LDS, and they were accepting of all, and mm-hmm. they were loving mm-hmm. to everyone, yeah. and they were really beautiful souls. Yeah. And I was able to let go of that chip, mm-hmm. so to speak, whatever whatever that I, I had harbored, um, that anger or, uh, I guess, frustration, That's too. I've, I've had a resentment or two, as yeah. it sounds. Yeah, know, it, it was it. really a resentment. Yeah. But I was able to finally let go of that, mm-hmm. and that felt really good. Um, it's it's horrible to go through life with all these, <laughs> <laughs> all, all these resentments yeah. and anger and, you know. Um, but I think that was the... That was a huge piece sure, for me. Sure, doing that work. No, and I, I understand that process too. Um, the, one of the most beautiful, humble men I know, for the most part, humble I guess, is my father-in-law, um, who's uh, uh, a good man, just a beautiful man, and mm-hmm. um, one of the most open, you know, thinking people I, I know, and. Um, and I, we were—I don't remember what we were talking about. We were joking one one night, I think, up at uh, celebrating um, my daughter's boyfriend's uh, birthday. And I said, I, I said to him, you know, any any regrets uh, <laughs> for the past couple of years? And he, he said, my primary regret was um, uh, voting for the last president. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, Yeah, I, I you know, I, I I made a mistake. You yeah, know, I made a mistake, and I realized that. You know that for whatever reason, no, no judgment here, mm-hmm. um, but that I had I had made it made a choice, and I based it on upon you know sort of these this concepts and these theories, um, and this dogma that didn't work out, mm-hmm. and so I need to take accountability for my part in that, you know, in, in believing that something could be different, but it not working out that way, and and that's that's really what I admire and love about him, mm-hmm. is that you know when he he. He could be the victim of the situation currently, uh-huh. or he could just take accountability. Yep, I'm part of creating it, and 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 that and his whole sense of accountability has always been heartening to me. Yeah, um, and how open he is to you know discussing the frailties of of being a human, right? Love just that. Yeah, about being just another bozo on the bus, Lisa. <laughs> I, which I, I love that. Of course, I love this concept. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's just t- talk a little bit about um, the uh, the fixer and the saboteur, um, which is you know the fix you know the fixer is the traditional codependent um, dependent um, dynamic, and you know you kind of already laid out a little bit about it. But <laughs> when you when you look back now over your life and your relationships, do you always think that you you were wanting to fix people, or do you, where do you see sort of those dynamics come in where you maybe played the fixer or played the saboteur at different times? Um, I, I guess I, I did, I was the fixer, you know, it was all about helping others and, you know, um, and helping fix their issues. <laughs> yeah, she's doing air quotes right now, just saying, <laughs> which is a beautiful, you know, fix them. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, ignored my own 
or or mm-hmm. hid from my own issues. Right. Yeah. Um, and I. Being a fixer, that's so much fun to do. Isn't if I it? just focus on your problems, uh-huh. I don't have to look at mine right now. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and I'm a hero, too, because <laughs> I have helped you <laughs> right, fix your problems, right? right? I'm right? a hero. Yeah. Yep. So that's... And a martyr. <laughs> hero martyr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that is... Yeah, I've, I have done that for a lot of my life, and... I started to beat myself up about it a few weeks ago. I thought, why did it take me so long to learn these lessons? You know, I look at at young, you know, some of the younger generations coming up and they are so like clear with their boundaries and they are, you know, they really know who they are. They're very comfortable in Mm -hmm. their skin. And I, I, but you know, it just takes what it takes. I mean, I have to give myself a break. Um, I guess good, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, I it, it did. It took me longer than most. I'm, you know, I'm a little bullheaded, as you probably know. Um, but it just it, it takes what it takes, yeah. and I, you know, I also played the saboteur yeah. because when things were going well. I would sabotage. Ah. And so then I could come in and again, be the fixer, ah. be the hero, you know, all of sure. that. Sure. So, so make a mess when you needed to or create some chaos when you needed to yeah. so that you could then get back into the role of, of the fixer absolutely. to clean something up. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And, and I, I love it that you identify it as, as a hero, too. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> or, you know, which is often but a place of martyrship, too. Cause yes. Look what I can do. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on, let's tell me a little bit about um, sort of when you look at life lessons, uh, this idea of um, an, an event or a person or something that has been powerful, you know, you you learned a powerful message or um, something that became a, a change, you know, a change maker in your life, either something somebody taught you or an event that happened that kind of you, you know, you, you look back and some people think of this as like a mentor that kind of shepherd them th- through a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have a, an event or a person or something that happened that stands out? When I moved back to Utah as a single parent, um, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Hmm. And I had a dear friend who taught me how to receive. And that was huge. I've oh. never been good at it. Okay. I've never done it at all. Because if I receive, then I am somehow indebted. Mm-hmm. And she taught me how to receive and do it graciously. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge turning point for me. Um, She's taught me so many things, you know, um, but that was, that was huge. Hmm. How do you, how do you find or connect in your life? um, I mean, how do you experience joy? What, what brings you joy in life? Uh, That's a hard one. I've been working on that a lot lately Mm. because I was not feeling any joy. My since my son moved out and I've been an empty nester, uh, you know, so much of my joy revolved around him before. Uh Um, And that's been a really tough piece for me. So I'm trying new things on. And, you know, what brings me joy is a walk at Red Butte Gardens. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, what brings me joy is um, spending time with friends that I haven't seen for Mm -hmm. a while. Um painting brings me joy so i'm i'm kind of relearning all of this and and putting it into practice in my life i it it does not just come naturally Mm -hmm. for me i have to (laughs) work at it (laughs) well you you you, when we were talking before we we started the interview today you were telling me that you were thinking of you know taking up the guitar right Mm -hmm. because you know and that sounded like you know music and joy and and that's a perfect example of you know now now that you know the 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 idea well well, I'll ask this. You know, did, did being a mom bring you joy? Did, did be, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's deeply satisfying. Because I, I, I noticed one of the things I, I noticed, when, you know, watching you with Max, 
you know, and I, you know, as parents sometimes do, um, the way we look at our children. And I used to watch the way you looked at Max, and there was a sense of, of joy and pride in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's the best thing I've ever done with my life. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure there, Max. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I you know when we when I start to beat myself up or think, oh well, I haven't accomplished this or accomplished that, uh-huh. you know, I've left the world a better place because he's such a good human being, yeah, yeah. and that's reward, yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, uh, on that on that note, um, this idea of um, this, I, I kind of I call this. Uh, journey that we do here in, in you know in, in, on just another bozo on the bus that it's sort of like being in the zen zone a little bit about kind of wh- how we connect and how we um you know live authentically through our ourselves you know how do we do that and i i wonder how you connect to your zen zone how how you connect to that authentic part of lisa I do get disconnected from that authentic part from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> I will admit yeah, that. Well, we, right we, 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 I think we all do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's, you know, it, I think it's a, a conscious effort. Um, and sometimes I'll get, you know, stressed or I don't, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. But I'll, all of a sudden, I'll realize that I'm in my crazy place and I'm not in my Zen place mm-hmm. anymore. And it's a time out. It's time alone. It's time in the mountains. It's prayer. It's meditation. Um, those kinds of things. Um, but it's hard to stay in that place every day when you're living in this world, yeah. right? <laughs> there's there's some challenges there. Oh, yes, few. of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I. I just try to reconnect with people I love mm-hmm. and things that I love and breathe and, you know, do some of the things that, that people have taught me to do over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my big things is human connection, is relationship. That, for me, nourishes my soul. And that, when I'm in a good, honest, truthful relationship, um, friends, mm-hmm. Or anyone, really. But that really keeps me in my Zen zone. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, We kind of touched upon this a little bit already, or you did anyway. Um, But this idea of what your beliefs and experiences are of um, faith or spirituality or hope or what kind kind of um, the universe you know, ha, ha, what are your thoughts about that or God, whatever? Um, you know, mm. I mean, you, you defined, you use the word agnostic, mm-hmm. um, but there, there, I'm, I'm guessing there's. And I mean, I do know you and a little bit enough to know that <laughs> you have a very strong spiritual side to you. Um, what are your What are your thoughts and beliefs about that? Well. Um I believe that there is something greater than ourselves. Okay. There has to be, mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't believe in, in religion, organized religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just doesn't work for me. However, I've learned to appreciate that it does work for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's, that's good. Um, but there has to be something bigger than ourselves, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are just so many little intricacies in our lives where things come together and we end up in the right place at the right time. Or, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe that that isn't orchestrated by someone or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and I think more than anything, um, for me, God, spirit, the mm-hmm. universe is more of a feeling within me and mm-hmm. something that I can connect to. Mm-hmm. And um, it it brings me it brings me peace mm-hmm. um, to know that I'm not alone. And that may be something that's made up in my head. I don't know. We'll all figure that out when we get to another place. Well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded like a little bit of certainty there. That's true. Which is, which that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I. 
I, I don't have that certainty. <laughs> that, you know, that, you know, well, I guess what it is, I hold that within me. I that is kind of my compass, yeah. and I it's it's knowing that there is a greater good. Yeah. Yeah. There is a power that wants good for us, sure. that wants us to do good for others. Yeah. And that helps keep me grounded. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't ask you this one but beforehand. Um, I, but uh, the, one of the things that I ask everyone that comes on the show, um, if there was a life celebration or it, uh, an event like that for you, for Lisa, mm-hmm. um uh, would there be a couple, or, or you know, it, as, are there a couple songs that sort of you in your life that have sort of represented you and your journey and, and what your life is about? That when you hear them, you know, they just you could kind of just click in and you connect to them, and they they take you to that that place where you 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 find represent you or your journey in some way or your life i i used to call it my you know my life celebration playlist and i've been working on this for years but i ask everyone this question that comes on are there a couple songs that that come to mind that are important to you in such a way that kind of represent your journey here Hmm. there are a couple of songs that speak to my soul one is amazing grace Mm -hmm. And that is one that I would want played at my celebration of life. And and is is there any kind of is there any particular version of that that's that stands out to you? Because sometimes people have a version of a, a song like that. You know, there there are so many, of course. Yeah. And if I if ideally I would want my friend Allison to sing that at my celebration <laughs> of life. She's an amazing voice. Um, I just, for some reason, that song just speaks to, it cuts right through me. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know, it has my whole life. Even though I'm not a religious person, I just love the beauty and simplicity of the message. It's so beautiful. I do understand what you're saying. You know? I don't think you need to be religious to, to feel the power of that song. Thank you. Uh, you know, because we we sing that song sometimes in the in sweat lodges. Oh, okay. You know, and oh. which is which is a very spiritual, you know, connected experience, mm-hmm. especially to the earth. Um, but I don't see that necessarily having to come from, uh, you know, a, a religious dogma doctrine type place, because it's about to me, it's it's about connection to mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it really it really is truly to to some power greater than ourselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's just, it's always been a one of my favorites. Also, um, Van Morrison's Into the Mystic. Ah, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite yes, songs ever. Yes, I do. I do quite yes. love that one. Yeah. And I, I think that was that would be one that I would choose to have yeah. at my celebration. Yeah. 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 Well, that's on my that's on my playlist too. <laughs> yeah. And that is a beautiful story. It's a about it's a beautiful it's about that the life's journey, you know, mm-hmm. and and going into the I mean the idea of going into the mystic aspect mm-hmm. of of life, um, the mystery, mm-hmm. right? And I, I love that. And also show. the mystery and the mystic of the life beyond, the life whatever beyond. that is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love I love that song. Yeah. I think those are probably the two that I've. I, you know, I could think about that for a while and give you some better answers. But oh, those were beautiful. No, 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 no. That was, those were those were perfect and those were beautiful and very representational. Yes, as well. All right. Uh, anything else that you uh, you want to share with our listeners today before we end this? Joyous, fun, <laughs> <laughs> laughter, uh, afternoon of laughter. <laughs> you know, I, um, wow. I'm trying to think of something very wise to say, and it's just not coming. I've got um, it. I've got it for you. You do? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, oh, I was going to try to say something profound, but I thought I'd go back to the grateful day. <laughs> and you know, it's the truth, isn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, that's the secret of life. <laughs> <laughs> keep on trucking, baby. Keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. All right. Yep. 
Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate you coming on today and, sh- you. and sharing your life and your story and your wisdom with our listeners. Um, all right. And next week we'll have on the show uh, Shannon Egan, uh, author, uh, friend, and all-around great person. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Again, thanks for listening and have a great week. We'll go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne.